My name is Don Jackson. I say that for our regular attenders because I never wear a suit. So our regular attenders are like, who's the guest speaker today? I wear the suit when I marry and bury, and I guess this is a funeral today, but it's a funeral gone wrong. It's a funeral with a resurrection, amen? And so I guess it's worthy of a suit once in a while. So if you are visiting with us for the first time, don't think that we're a highfalutin church where people wear suits and ties. If you come back next week, you'll see the pastor in jeans and Harley Davidson, because that's what I wear. And for those of the people that are nervous about me not having anything Harley on, my watch is the Harley Davidson watch. So I always bear the logo, okay? Uh, but if you are visiting with us for the first time, I hope you got to stop by the welcome booth. We have a bag for all of our first-time visitors that has a, a mug and some treats inside of that. Our way of thanking you for coming to Oakwood this morning. And we are sure glad you're here, amen. Let's give a welcome, warm welcome to all our visitors today. Glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much. Well, let's jump right into it. We've been in a series called The Implications of Easter. And I know uh, that somebody maybe dragged you out to church and you're like, okay, I'll go on Christmas and Easter. And, and here, here's my encouragement to you. Why don't you come back for the next two Sundays and get the rest of this series in? If you're not normally used to going to church, you've already crossed over the threshold. Nothing happened. Nothing fell down on you. I know people say, if I go into church, something's going to crash down on me. Hey, listen, there's good people there, Christian people there too. God's not going to crash the building down just because you came. Amen. We're glad to have all of you here today. But I'd encourage you, come back the next two Sundays and help us finish out this Easter series. Uh, the, the theme verse is in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, one of our elders, Roger, read that for us this morning about how of first importance is the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the whole theme of our Easter series, and there are implications of that implications. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of First Peter. First Peter 1, if you want to open your Bibles, or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you somewhere, or get a gadget out, that's fine. Most of the scriptures will be on the screen as well. But we'll all meet together in First Peter 1, 3 through 9, in just a moment. Let's pray this morning. Would you pray this prayer? You don't have to say, uh, you don't have to say it out loud, just in your own heart and mind. Would you just pray this prayer? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray that everyone hearing this message would be edified. And we pray that Satan would be horrified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, we'll be there in just a second. The big idea today is that sneaky old snake did his worst, but God's plan delivered the best. Last week, we started talking about this sneaky old snake, and that's where the origins of sin come from. I won't preach the whole message over again, but for those of you who weren't here, that sneaky old snake in Genesis chapter 3, the approach is surprising and subtle. The strategy involved conversation and controversy. The conversation leads to doubt and desire. That sneaky old snake showed up in Genesis chapter 3, and all he did was sow a little bit of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. What did God really say? And you won't certainly die. 
And then the result is collaboration and catastrophe. It's not enough. We make bad choices. We drag others in it with us. And uh, then there is catastrophe. I hope you understand today we're living in a dark, dark world. How many of you yesterday got the notification uh, evacuating Great Lakes Crossing Mall because of an active shooter and you thought, here we go again. Praise God, I don't think it was true, right? And, and I didn't get the rest of the news, but I don't think it was true. But aren't we used to it? And isn't that a shame? Isn't it a shame that we would actually say, oh, there's another one. Uh, we live in a dark, dark world, full of sin, cursed by sin. Not only our people, but the world is. The earth is cursed. And so we are on a downward spiral. And that's what last week was all about. It was about the snake and sin. Well, this week we're going to talk about the Savior and salvation. Somebody give me an amen for that. I hate talking about the snake and the sin. I, oh, I was bad, by the way, yesterday. My wife's been upset all week because I talked about snakes last Sunday. On Good Friday, I had the pictures of the snake. You know, I used the pictures. And she came home. She goes, you knock that snake stuff off. I'm, I'm, and then she wanted to go clean out the leaves of her. And I knew she was nervous. Oh, I did it. I know I did it. I found a green, a green extension cord and I came up behind her. She didn't know I was coming and I threw it between her legs. I said, snake! Oh, hair spitting, sweating, everything flying. It was a beautiful thing. Love it. Absolutely love it. So we're, we got to move away from that dirty, sneaky snake, right? And we're going to talk about the savior and salvation. Yes. That snake got a bite of the Savior. Good Friday is all about the fact that that snake, he got a bite onto that heel. The Bible talks about the Son of Man will come and he will crush that serpent's head. But that serpent will bite him. And so this morning, we, we're here because of one specific thing. Jesus did die. He died because of that venom of sin. It wasn't his own. But he died on our place, on that cross. For you and for me. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But today we're here because he rose again. Amen? Yeah, I was here for five hours yesterday trying to make that light beam come out of the tomb and still struggling. Like, not enough fog. I, I want more boom out of that, right? We love the fact, Christians love the fact that there's an empty tomb like the video spoke about. So we're going to talk about the Savior and salvation today. And the Easter Bunny just popped that point right in there. The resurrection proved that Christ was divine. You need to know that, that dead people don't rise again. Now, I know some of you would say, oh yeah, what about Lazarus? Yeah, he rose again, but he died again. Amen? No one has ever risen from the dead to stay alive. The Bible is full of people that were risen from the dead, but they died again. Because they're not divine. Only God sent his son, his one and only son who died on the cross, and three days later he rose again to live forever. So the resurrection proved, number one, that Christ was divine. He is from God. Number two, the resurrection proved that Christ's power is to forgive sins. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to die on that cross was not to have a martyred Savior. The whole point was God wanted to forgive us of our sins. But there was nothing we can do to earn that forgiveness. The penalty for sin is death. Romans tells us that. And so instead of having each and every one of us have to pay the penalty of our sins and die for our sins, he sent his son. And Jesus 
When he rose from the grave, he proved his power to forgive sins. Third thing, the resurrection revealed Christ's power over death. I love that passage that, that Roger read. It's uncomfortable, isn't it, Roger? You're reading that passage and it's all about, and if Christ did not rise, we're miserable. If Christ did not rise, we're failed. And then at the end, it's like, but he did rise. And because he rose from the dead, he defeated death. Sin and death has been defeated. All because of the resurrection. And lastly, the resurrection defeated God's enemy. Oh, that sneaky snake. Mm. Under the authority of the Son. That's the Savior and salvation. So today, what I want to focus on in the time we have is Easter brings living hope. So what, PD? I come to church on Christmas. I hear about Jesus in the manger. I come to church on Easter. I hear about he rose again. What's the big deal? So what? What's the so that? Well, let me tell you this morning. I want to preach to you that Easter brings living hope. Everybody say living hope. And the three things I want to talk about this morning is what is this living hope? What are the implications of this living hope? And how can I have this living hope? That's where we're going to go. And before we do that, we're going to read the passage that I told you that's going to set us up for this. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Let me read it. You follow along. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Let's answer the questions this morning. According to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, what is this living hope? What's the so that of a cross? What's the so that of an empty tomb? The so that is that you and I can have a living hope. And this hope is a hope that never dies, it's a hope with assurance. I want you to understand that because when we hear words today, we, we put them in our, you know, our own translation in our mind. And when we hear the word hope, we think, oh, I hope, I hope that that honey baked ham is ready when I get home today for lunch, right? We're hoping, we're hoping, we hope something's going to happen. I hope I win the mega lottery. I hope when we use the word hope in those contexts, sometimes it doesn't happen. Hope sometimes is empty an empty hope. And that would be miserable. I think in the passage that Roger read for us, it said we are above all men are most miserable if we believe in vain. But we don't. We believe in the truth of the resurrection that brings a living hope. 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, the verse we just read, it describes hope as a living hope. It's not that kind of hope. Oh, I hope he proposes. Or I hope he doesn't propose. Whatever hope it is, I don't know which one you got. We're hoping and we're wishing and we're thinking, but we have no idea about the outcome. You need to know that the Bible, when it talks about hope, it calls it a living hope. There is no doubt of the end result. There is no doubt in a so that. And the so that is that this hope that we have will never die. Amen? It's a hope with assurance. There's a guarantee with this hope. The Bible uses words like it can never perish, spoil, or fade. Oh, it's so good. We have a hope that will last forever because of the resurrection of Jesus. And it is the only hope for a lasting, radical, positive change in your life. In first, uh, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, by the way, in your notes, could you do me a favor? If you've got a note sheet, you've got a pen, scratch out First Corinthians, put Second Corinthians. Somebody made a typo. Somebody's not on his game. It was me. My bad, my bad. Second Corinthians. Second, get it right. Second Corinthians 5.17. Second Corinthians 5.17. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. I don't want to pick on our visitors today, but if you're visiting with us and you're not comfortable in church, I want to let you know, be comfortable. Some of you came today and thinking, oh, I don't, I don't like going to the, the, you know, perfect people, all pretty and everything's all nice, you know, and, and, and I'm not like that. I'm messy. My, my, my life's a mess. Well, I want to wake you up to a reality today. Oakwood is not a church of perfect people. We are a church of forgiven people that are still on our journeys and we still have messes and we make mistakes. And if you're looking for a perfect church, this is not your place. But if you want to come to a church of people just like you, then come to Oakwood. We'd love to have you because we're all on a journey of change. Radical, positive, and lasting change. But that only happens because of the resurrection of Christ. You can't do that on your own. Some of you might be thinking, maybe I will come after I work on myself a little bit. Maybe if I clean myself up, I belong. No, you belong right now. I don't care if you were out drinking till two in the morning last night. I don't care if you're uh, struggling with an addiction. I don't care if your mouth is cussing and swearing all week long. Welcome to church today. Because the resurrection is the only hope for a change in our lives. And God will do it. God will do it. I'll give you a warning. If you do want to come the way you are, you better watch out. He'll change you. He'll make you new. The Bible says if you give your life to God, the old will go. Oh, some of y'all's old need to go. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all olds need to get it going because the new needs to arrive. And the Bible says for those who are in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. That only happens through Jesus, not through willpower. Willpower fails. Man, I, you talk about yo-yo diets. Somebody ought to put a string on me and just roll me out every day. I go back and forth and back and forth. I had to go to the doctor this week. Annual physical. I postponed the other one. It was, it was supposed to be like in January. I'm like, oh no, man, not after Christmas. I'll tone up. I'll tone up. And it came back around again. I'm like, oh, nuts. So I went. 
And then he makes me go get my blood drawn, you know, and they make you fast. Anybody ever have the blood work done where you got to fast for the, oh, I hate that. So I, I ate dinner and then I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to not eat. I'll get up and thank the Lord they let you drink black coffee. Amen. Because if they, if they said no coffee, I'm like, just let me die because, but, but I did it. I didn't eat after dinner. I didn't eat all the way through the night in the morning. I had my coffee, had some water, no cream in the coffee, just coffee. And I, and I went to get my blood drawn and you know, you got to go early because I want to get this fast over with. I walked into the blood place. There was about 50 people lining the hallway. Everybody wants to get the blood work done. Everybody's there. I walked in to look at the lady and she said, listen, about an hour. I'll tell you how long in about an hour. <laughs> she said, I don't even know right now. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I said, what if I came back? She goes, try to come back later. I'm like, okay. So I went, came back to church. I'm not sure what happened here that day. Lord, forgive me if I was hangry. <laughs> I, I kept the fast going till about one o'clock and at one o'clock I finally went in and thank goodness I was like 15 in line, got the blood work done, went in later that week for the physical and the doctor looked at me and I'm like, okay, don't even, just let me tell you instead of you tell me. I looked at my blood work. You put it on the Beaumont chart. So I read it. My cholesterol's doubled in the last year. I know it. My weight's big out there where it used to be. I know it. I know I need to diet and exercise and lose weight and you're going to give me a pill for cholesterol. Are we done here? <laughs> He's like, you pretty much summed it up. You're a mess. And he said, you're, you're going in for a stress test. I got to walk on the, you know, they're making me walk on the treadmill because I'm having chest pains. And he gave me nitroglycerin tablets. I'm falling apart, people. I'm falling apart. You just never know when I'm going to go. And so all this, this, this hope of change and we don't have willpower to change our lives. It can't just be something we do. Real lasting change is something that you need from outside of you. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lasting, radical, positive change in your life. Well, what are the implications of this hope? What does having a living hope mean? Well, number one, it corrects hopeless thinking. It corrects hopeless thinking. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to stop the stinking thinking. Anybody here have some stinking thinking? Man, our brains go to the darkest places. And, and living hope is the only hope to correct stinking thinking. I was studying up on this, and the brain is hungry. I don't know if you know this. You think I'm hungry after fasting. Your brain is extremely hungry. Even though your brain makes up only 2% of your body's weight, it's about 3 pounds, give or take, it uses 20 to 30% of all the calories you take in, as well as 20% or more of the oxygen and blood flow in your body. The brain uses approximately 86 billion neurons, which fires 18 trillion times a second to perceive and analyze incoming data, decide what, if anything, to do about it, and then execute your responses. Doesn't that just make you tired thinking about it? Your brain is hungry. It's sucking up the calories, it's, it's, it's drinking the blood, it's taking the oxygen, and our brains are very powerful. 
Yet as fallen people cursed by sin, your brain does some stinking thinking. And it'll spiral you out of control and head you in all sorts of wrong directions. Sir John Templeton, he died in like 2008, but his family went back and found a letter he wrote for Christmas in 1967. And back in 1967, I guess the Christmas letters wasn't all bragging about your kids and how great they are. Uh, he, he, this is what he wrote. This is what Sir John Templeton wrote for his Christmas letter. If you exercise no control, it will become a weed patch. He's talking about the mind like a garden. He was comparing the mind to a garden. If you exercise no control, it will become a weed patch and a source of shame and misery. If you exercise wise control, then it will be filled with God's miracles and you become a place of indescribable beauty. You are free to choose which, what you can do with it. Simply, for example, develop a habit of looking at each thought as you would a plant. If it is worthy, if it fits the plan you desire for your mind, cultivate it. If not, replace it. How do you get it out of your mind? Simply by putting it in its place, two or three thoughts of love or worship, for no mind can dwell on more than two or three thoughts at one time. Circumstances outside the garden of your mind do not shape you. You shape them. For example, if you expect treachery, allowing those thoughts to dwell in your mind, you will get it. If you fill your mind with thoughts of love, you will get love. If you think little of God, he will be far from you. If you think often of God, the Holy Spirit will dwell more in you. The glory of the universe is open to every man. Some look and see, some look and see not. Gardens are not made in a day. God gave you one lifetime for the job. Control your garden of your mind. Grows with practice and study of the wisdom of other minds that have bequeathed to you. He who produces an item of unique beauty in his garden of his mind may have a duty to give the seed to others. As your body is the dwelling place of your mind, so the mind, the dwelling place of your soul. The mind you develop is your dwelling place for all the days on earth. And the soul you develop on earth may be the soul you are stuck with for eternity. God has given you the choice. Oh, stinking thinking. If you have a mind that's racing out of control, and by the way, the mind is the control center of the universe. The Bible talks about your heart a lot, but I think what it's really developing there in the Bible is, is the thought central because whoever gets the mind gets the life. Let me say it again. You might want to write that down because it's an essential point today. Whoever gets the mind gets the life. And if you've not surrendered your life over to God because of the resurrection power and the living hope, your mind will spiral and make you a, what you don't want to become. It corrects hopeless thinking. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. Oh, friends, if you don't have the living hope today, then you have no hope for a mind at peace. If you don't have living hope today, you have no hope for a mind set on things above and not on things on this earth. Easter brings us living hope. That's the so that of an empty tomb. Number two, it corrects hopeless living. Romans 6 and verse 4. 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Oh, friends, do you have a new life? Is that verse 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 true in you that the old is gone, the new has arrived? Has God changed you from the inside out? Your mind. And whoever gets the mind gets the life. And so it comes out of you as your living proof that you have a living hope. Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, living hope is yours today because Easter brings living hope. It's yours today because it can change stinking thinking. And it can correct hopeless living. That's the implications of what Easter's all about. So the big question for today is, how can I have this living hope? How can I have this living hope? Do you have it? If you don't have it today, you can leave with it. I'm going to give you the points. All the points are going to be on the screen today. You're just going to need to, to, to follow the instructions and you can have a living hope. Number one, everybody say number one. Receive it by faith. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everybody say, number one. It's receive it by faith. Let's go on to number two. Oh, wait. There is no number two. That's it. No, I'm serious. That's it. I know you might be thinking, well, there's got to be at least three points in a poem coming. No. No. There's good news today. This is the most important day in history. This is why history is split between two parts, before Christ and after Christ. It's about this, this cross behind me and the empty tomb in the background. And because of that, you can have a living hope. And there's great news God doesn't say if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. No, God says if you believe. Period. Well, then, of course, I need to come to church every Sunday. Yeah, you should, but it doesn't get you saved. You probably want my money, don't you? Well, we would appreciate some of it every once in a while, but even if you never gave, it's not a requirement for salvation. He's probably going to make me be on that worship team. He wants me to learn how to play the drums. That'd be nice. But that isn't going to get you saved. You see, you can come to church every Sunday and give 10 to 20% of all you have and sing on the worship team. And you could be no closer to heaven than anyone else. Why? Because it's not about what you do. There is nothing you can do. We can't make this any more clear. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to do things. No, no. All of that stuff can come when Christ does a work in you. But in order for you to come to a living hope, it requires just one thing. Faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God from the moment sin entered the world, had a plan to save mankind. And do you believe that that plan was to send His only Son to die on a cross for your sins? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son 
that whoever believes in him. That's it, right, Mark? Wasn't that it? That's the whole, whoever believes in him and then goes to church every day and gives money and sings in the car. No, 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 stop it. None of that is in there. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, there was two thieves on the cross next to Jesus when he died. The Bible says both of them, both of them chimed in to the left and to the right with the crowd. They all mocked him. The Bible says both thieves on the cross next to Jesus insulted him. Can you believe it? Thieves being crucified are mocking this guy. And then one of them comes to realize, wait a second, this guy could be the son of God. And he repents. And Jesus says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, now you need to come down off that cross and go to church, sing in the choir, pay some money, be baptized. He didn't give a list. He didn't give a whole list of things. Jesus said, you believe? You're hanging there on a cross. You've got nothing to give me. You've got nothing but your faith. Well, then today you're with me in paradise. Can you imagine that guy showed up in heaven? Hours later, when he died, he goes to the pearly gates, right? We don't believe this is true, but he goes to the pearly gates and there's Peter. We always think St. Peter's at the pearly gates, right? And he's checking IDs or whatever. And, and the guy shows up and, he's, and Peter's like, well, what are you doing here? He says, I, I don't know. I was just down there and I was talking to a guy and I, and I died. I got, I'm, I'm here. Well, you know, what church did you go to? I, I, I never got to go to church. When were you baptized? I didn't have time. You see, I was on this cross and I, and then I, how much money have you given to missions over your lifetime? None. I stole and cheated and didn't pay my taxes. I didn't, I didn't give anything to get, well, 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 did you speak in tongues or did you, did you do something great? What did you do? Tell me how your good outweighed your bad. He says, there's no good. I did nothing good. I, I, my whole life was led to death on a cross. Then, and then Peter looks at him and he says, well, what are you doing here? He says, I have no idea. But the man on the middle cross said that, that I could come. And Peter said, welcome to heaven. The man in the middle can tell you to come. And it's only by faith. Can I... I need to borrow this for a second. People at Oakwood have seen this a lot of times. My wife said, don't do that again. I said, I'm not doing it for the people at Oakwood. There might be somebody here who needs to see this today. Our lives are a lot like this pot. God made us, gave us life, and he allows us choice. And there's one choice that everything hangs on. It's the choice about what you're going to do with that cross and that empty tomb. And I know that maybe some of you have grown up and you've been to church or camp or something and somebody told you, just you got to ask God to forgive you. you got to pray the prayer, right? And so at some point you said, oh dear God, i got sin in my life. And so you came to God and you, you said, God, I, I know I've sinned and so I'm going to dump all that sin out. I want to give you all that sin. And then, you know, life happens, Right? And when you, you, you take your life and you, you start living it and all of a sudden it's not very long. Maybe, you know, you came home from camp or church, Sunday school or something and you were serious. But, but you know, you've, a little while later you find out that, oh, there's something missing. I, 
I don't know why it is, but I, I came and I, I asked you to forgive my sin, but it's back again. And, and so God, okay, forgive me my sins, come into my life as Savior and Lord, forgive me of my sins, take all my sins away. And you, you seriously prayed the prayer. And you, you, you take your life and then you say, okay, I'm good, good to go. I said the prayer, I remember I said it this, I've done it twice now. And so you take your life and you start living your life and then, you know, you get to middle school or whatever it is, high school, and you're like, I don't, my life is full of that sin gunk again. I did, what's going on? Maybe I didn't pray it right, right? You know, you, maybe you heard a pastor like me say, if you say the apple tree prayer over and over again, but your life produces lemons, something's wrong. And so you come back and you say, oh, I, mean, I didn't do it right. I must not be praying right or not enough. And so, oh no, God, please save me. Come into my life and forgive me of my sin. And you dump all that sin and you say, there, it's empty. There's nothing more. I mean it. I'm serious. Please save me. Let me go to heaven. And then you take your life and you live your life. And you know what's coming. I could do this all day long. Because every time you take your life in your own hands, you find yourself full of sin again. And you keep coming back and saying, like, oh, no, God, I, <laughs> you're like Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. And, and we play this game. We play this game that we come to God and we leave with our lives. Friends, today, what I'm trying to get at, and I'll end with this, is a simple thought. God never, ever asked you to dump the sin <laughs> and keep taking your life. Listen, God knows you and he knows me and he knows we're prone to sin. He wants you to come with your sinful life and to confess your sins because there's no forgiveness with, there's no salvation without forgiveness of sins. He wants you to come and say, please forgive the sin and I'm gonna give you my life. <laughs> Have you ever given God your life? Not just a prayer, or not just to dump the sin and run for fire insurance. No, a living hope enters your life when you place your life in God's hands. And if you give God your life, all your life, all the sin and everything in it, then God can do a work in you. Friends, you can't fix yourself by yourself. The good news is that empty tomb tells us that there's a living hope. And there's only one way to receive it, and that's through faith. Do you believe? Do you believe this morning? Simply just say, God, I, I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And He died for my sins on that cross. Well, then you can pray a prayer. You can say, God, forgive me of my sin, but come into my life as my Savior and Lord, and here's my life, here's all of me. I surrender, I give you my life. Maybe you're here today and you've been given prayers, but you've never given your life. Today's a chance for you to give your life. I'm gonna pray. Would everybody bow your head and close your eyes? The praise team's gonna come up here and we're gonna close out with a song of worship. I wanna ask a question today it's, it's not an every Sunday thing that we do this, but I need to give you an opportunity. There might be somebody here that's saying, you know what, PD, that makes sense to me. I have prayed prayers for salvation, but I've never surrendered my life over to God. I've never given him everything. He gave everything to you. Have you given everything to him? And come to him by faith and faith alone. 
It's by grace that you're saved through faith and it's not of yourselves. So this morning, before I close in prayer, can I ask, is there anybody here that would say, PD, this morning, I want to surrender my life and give my life to God. And I've never done that before. Somebody raise your hand and say, that's me, PD. Would you pray for me? Anybody else would say that? That's me. Pray for me, PD. And listen now. Yep. If you've never done that before, don't wait. You do it today. And you don't, if you get out to the parking lot and get in the car and start eating on ham this afternoon, this feeling you have right now might go away. Don't let it pass. If God is moving in you today and you say, I want to know that living hope that can change my life, that can change my mind, then raise your hand high today and say, that's me, PD. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the people who've raised their hands today. God, people that that are saying today's a new day. It's a day when I'm going to give all. I'm going to give my all. Everything about my life, I'm surrendering to God for his forgiveness of my sin, his acceptance into the family. And then God, I pray you do a great work in these lives. We know that, that you will perform the work until the day you come for us. And so Father, I know you're going to do a change in a heart and a change in a mind, which will result in a changed life. Oh, Father, all of this because of what you have done. Not what we've done, but because of what you've done. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.